Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership, where I get to dig into delicious conversations with global leaders and I get to ask them all about women in leadership and I get to soak up their wisdom and perspective on life and leadership. And today I could not be more thrilled to introduce you to Selena Rizvani. Welcome, Selena. Thank you for having me, Melissa, and thank you for the work you do. Thank you. So let me just touch briefly on your bio, um, just by way of introduction, and then we'll get right into our conversation. So Selena is the author of a new book, Quick Confidence, and an expert on women and leadership. She trains some of the brightest minds on how to enhance their presence and self-confidence and elevate others along the way. Having a massive following of over 500,000 followers and subscribers across platforms, Selena was honoured as a fast company, top content creator in 2021. Selena offers speeches and workshops to teams and conferences, including her sought-after Quick Confidence Own Your Power experience. She writes columns for MSNBC's Know Your Value on the most pressing leadership and career issues, and her advice has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Oprah.com, Today, the LA Times, and the list goes on. Selena, it is wonderful to have you here with me today, and I'm going to um, straight away ask you the question, for anyone in our audience who hasn't come across you before, would you tell us who you are as a human being, and let's get into your story. Yes, I'm so excited for our conversation and uh, to be with your listeners today. I really have a dual mission, and it's to uh, help women and underrepresented groups carve out paths to leadership, something I'd really like to see uh, more of, more representation. But then on the other side, to also help employers make bold bets on diverse talent. Um, and so I really love getting to work on both of those things, um, you know, to see representative leadership in the world. And, uh, you know, I also have my own little Petri dish of uh, gender dynamics at home. I have boy-girl twins who are 10 years old. So that is always uh, sparking some kind of inspiration or some kind of uh parallel line to the workplace and and some of the issues I look at every day. And uh, yeah, I'm a runner. Um, I never met a hot fudge sundae I didn't love. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go right back to how your career started, because you've got a fascinating journey of of navigating your way through to where you are today. So let's, let's go back to where it all began. Yeah, I I I don't know about you Melissa, but it was not a linear path, that's for sure. I definitely had moments of real despair and feeling lost, um hopeless even. And so I trained as a social worker. I went and got a master's degree in social work and I loved these skills I was learning, the problem-solving skills, the diagnostic questions to help people. But come graduation, I took several different jobs and I could not stomach it. I could not bear um, the anguish and terrible things that, you know, uh, people were having to live through who were my clients. And I simply couldn't shut it off. And I realized, you know, you could keep doing this and force fitting this 
or you can explore other paths, which is what you would tell a best friend or anyone you cared about, you know, to do. Uh, and so a little grumpy and, and, you know, feeling defeated. And did I just make a mistake with this degree? Uh, I started to expand my job search and I thought there must be a way I can use these skills. You know, I really wish I could do that with people in their careers and, you know, particularly hopeless one day and feeling defeated that I wasn't getting a lot of bites from my, my job uh, applications, I went to Craigslist. And I saw there, almost like with golden gleaming light, <laughs> the most beautiful job description I ever could have hatched. Um, and it was to work at the Great Place to Work Institute. Um, the company, the consulting firm that ranks the Fortune 100 best places to work lists. Wow. And yes. Was, if I'd seen that, that would have been in golden lights too. So I can <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I truly didn't think such a thing existed, really. Um, and I thought, wow, this just hits every spot. The, this idea of raising up the employee voice, helping workplaces do better. Um, by their people. And so I immediately applied and boy, was I thrilled and feeling so lucky when I got that job. And it was a wonderful place to cut my teeth um, as a consultant and somebody studying leadership development. And uh, I never looked back since. I really found my home there and, and getting to work with diverse groups you know, and fine-tune my niche has just been a great joy. Was it there that you decided to do further study? I know you went on to do more. When was that? Yeah, I, I actually decided to pursue an MBA um, just a little bit after that job at Great Place to Work Institute. I was working at a, D a Washington, D.C.-based company called Management Concepts, and I realized I love these social work skills. I'm very much using them. Um, I'm diagnosing problems, right? Uh, coming up with solutions and collaboration with people, but I can't speak the language of business. Huh. And that was that was a tough block to overcome. Um, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I did not know <laughs> all that was out there in terms of the language and the concepts of business. Um, and so I did pursue my MBA at night, and I I can't tell you how much of a fish out of water I felt. Nobody there was from social work school <laughs> or a background, and frankly, it wasn't very valued. And and so I really uh, a lot of hand wringing went into that decision to do this, but I'm so glad I did because I really did feel like I got that primer I needed on what was keeping my clients up at night, you know, what was worrying them from a talent perspective, what they were balancing in terms of budgets and P&L and, um, you know, their boards of directors and things like that. So it ended up being a great complement to social work training. So at what point did you um, did you move in this direction where, you know, I mean, you're working for yourself these days, how did that sort of, let's keep going on the journey. I want to hear more about this path. Yeah. Um, well, I, I 
am a big fan of living with no regrets. And I I thought regret is a really prickly companion. And I felt at these corporate consulting jobs I had, which were very good to me, um, I will regret it for the rest of my life if I don't carve out my own path. You know, I have my own research. I have some of my own book ideas. I have ways I'd like to influence corporate audiences and experiences I want to deliver. And so it really was, um, I don't know if it was my type A inner control freak wanting to, to get in the driver's seat. I mean, I will totally cop to some of that. But I think it was also, let's see what you can do. You know, a feeling of let's see what you can do. I think a lot of my younger um, teenage years, 20s, I talked myself out of a lot of things. You know, I did what makes business sense. And I think a part of me really rebelled against that and said, I'd like to try this my way. So many questions about that, which I'm going to circle back to in terms of, you know, the uh, the risks and things like that and how you how you sort of navigated that in terms of the confidence to do that. But I wanted to ask first, you shared with me when you and I spoke previously about someone very influential, and I wondered if that was when you were studying your MBA that you met the professor that we spoke about. Yes, somebody made a huge impact on my life, um, partly because she pushed me to think bigger. And and for your listeners, I I hope you'll think of somebody in your life who's done this for you, maybe in a small way, maybe in a larger way, and to think about who you could do this for. Um, but yes, Lindsay Thompson, she was my one female professor at business school. And I had the, the pleasure of directing some of my own research. You could propose it. And if it got approved, you could run with it. And I knew just what I wanted to do. I wanted to interview C-level top women leaders across industries. And the only trouble was I did not know a single one. I had zero connections to these unicorns that I was so excited to meet. And Lindsay said to me, Selena, I will approve your research request on one condition. She said, you have to go after the giants. You have to go after the women who you think will never say yes to you. And wow, did that ratchet up the list of people I was considering. I had never thought of it that way, not once. And I'm so glad she said that because dozens of those women, wonderful, amazing women said yes. The CEO of the Washington Post at the time, um, president of the LA Dodgers, uh, CEO at Charles Schwab, so many incredible women. And those interviews really changed my life, mm -hmm. how I see leadership. And that's what led to uh, my books. I thought I'm not that unique. There are other uh, women, it, professionals who could benefit from this, this wonderful advice. So what I'm dying to know is what were the top three things you took out of those conversations? It's the question I get asked all the time out of these conversations. What did you take away? One was how 
tenacious these women were. You know, Melissa, I had kind of made this assumption, like, I bet you were identified in in grade school as this high potential leader. (laughs) You know, you were probably... The, the head of everything and and maybe even had this golden path to the top. I, I thought that. And yet so many of them said, you know what? I wasn't afraid to go back and ask five more times. Yes. Hey, I'd like to be the CFO. How about now? How about under these different conditions? Um, what exactly are you looking for from me that I'm not delivering today? And I'm so grateful for that message about being vocal and going back and asking again, um, because it gives me great inspiration when things don't go my way the first time. So that was a big one. Um, I think another one was so many of them said something that that was also reassuring. They said, you know, I got here not because I hammered myself relentlessly for my weaknesses. I got here because I identified my signature strengths early on, and I really cultivated those into superpowers. Mm. And I thought that was just awesome um, that everyone has signature strengths. Sometimes it takes a while to unearth, right? And, and, find those out and open some wrong doors like I did, but, but everyone has those and how wonderful a career if you can play to those strengths and activate them and use them. Um, So I think that was a a very exciting message. Um, I think one other one that came through loud and clear to me, it relates a little bit to the first was embracing no you know, embracing no. Tell in us your career. Yeah, I think that that so many of them said, you know, no is often the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to like slink away, defeated. That didn't go my way. I didn't get the yes answer. I didn't get the encouragement I was hoping for when I proposed my idea or this new role or whatever. And so many of them said, like, play with that. Mm-hmm. You know, peel peel the onion. Don't be so scared of the no. You know, get curious and, I, and, and ask them questions. I love so, that you used that word because that was the exact word that came to mind and it's what's come out of so many of my conversations is that stay in that curious space and keep exploring. And the other one um, is to be to be confident to ask for what you want. Like don't assume people are going to read your mind. And I love you said that when you talked earlier about them saying, you know, I'd like to be CFO. How about now? How about like this? Um, yes. Yeah, really true. Can I ask your signature strengths? How did you uncover your signature strengths? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a funny toy game here um, around, you know, kids, arcades and things, and we call it whack-a-mole. Yeah. And it's a little animal keeps popping its head up <laughs> over and over again. And that's how my signature strengths felt like they came up in my life, is I could ignore them sometimes and be in a more analytical role, let's say. And guess what would keep popping its head up? 
in some way, making me aware this is natural for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those strengths for me tend to cluster around teaching, you know, advising, coaching, educating. Those are my favorite things to do, whether it's with a group, um, training a cohort in a leadership program, or working with one person. Um, and so I love getting to use those. And I think to bring a kind of experimental mindset to it, to not say, I'm going to stick with this one way doing it with corporate groups, but to say, I'm going to try different things. I'm going to try doing this, making leadership content on TikTok and see what happens. So I think that's been an important part of my journey is keep pushing the edge of my comfort zone. Fantastic. I love that. Okay, so I want to ask you about, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm sort of transfixed in this idea of the whack-a-mole right now um, because I just, I love that and I can picture so many people, um, you know, literally pushing pushing away and whacking down those things because they're doing, I think is what you said earlier, they're doing what is expected of them or... Yeah, um, absolutely. So I love that. Okay, I want to talk about feedback. You know, I have a sort of personal um, belief that a lot of our executives are just not getting or seeking the feedback that they need to grow in their careers. And just I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's both the issue of a dearth of feedback and and not getting enough, you know, the absence. But then when you do get it, not all feedback is created equal. And, you know, I'm certain you've seen some of the research that for women in particular, you know, it tends to be about more subjective things, um, you know, your affect and how much you smile or how serious you are versus more technical domain related skills. Um, and so I, I always think of that as a starting place with giving equitable feedback. If you are a leader in a position to deliver, flipping the script before you ever give feedback to say, would I give such input to a man? Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, your, your relationship skills need work mm. and testing it, um, you know, before you ever say it, is this something I would say to a man, you need to smile more. Um, you can come off as a bit icy, right? Uh, so I think that's a really important self check a, a person can do in this situation. You know, I think if you're the person asking for feedback, maybe you're not getting it. I wouldn't be afraid to ask for feedback, but know that you might not get it the first time or two. Talk about being tenacious. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because something we don't talk about is there's some inherent vulnerability in giving someone feedback. You know, we tend to think of all the vulnerability being the feedback receiver. And yes, there is a lot, but I think there is some real trust needed um, to say, hey, can we talk about how the presentation just went? Mm-hmm. And to give someone skills and feedback that's going to help them grow. 
Um, so one of the things I think is important, though, is if you are asking to not just say to somebody, hey, Melissa, can I have some feedback about the sales presentation in there? I think many of us are wired to make it constructive when we hear that. But there are good things that most likely happen. So I encourage people to ask for balanced feedback to say something like, um, hey, you saw me present in there. Uh, what did you think went well? And what is something I could do better next time? You know, because it it's it's literally leaving out valuable information if we don't know what we did effectively. Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. Do you know an interesting thing, and it just occurred to me, occurred to me when you were talking then, so with these interviews, and I get a chance to speak to a lot of global leaders, and increasingly in this series, um, you know, more leaders from the US. And one of the things that I find really interesting is at the end of the interview, so the camera stops, we turn off um, and have a little bit of a chat at the end. Without fail, everyone from the US has asked me for feedback at the end of the interview. Ah, interesting. And that's not that's not common elsewhere. So, you know, it'd, it'd be really interesting to understand if there is you know, maybe more of a feedback culture there than we have. But um, but I digress a little bit. I just want to ask, what did you learn from your time at Great Place of Work? Because you get to bring all of these wonderful experiences into, into the work that you do now. Mm-hmm. What did you find about the sort of leadership that is evident in organisations that rank highest? Yes, you know, first of all, there was a visceral feeling when you went into these places that was like, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> you know, like this is not um this is not your average workplace. A feeling uh in some cases a lightness, I think in some cases a friendly collegiality uh, among people. Um, And I would say when I think about those leaders who were running truly the best workplaces, there was so much humility. You know, there wasn't the pound your chest um, alpha style of leadership. It was transparent. Um, It was generous. Like, for example, an employee dealing with a terrible life situation, um, someone being treated for cancer, them or a family member, very generous action on the part of the leaders to make sure that person had the, the time off they needed or generous colleagues donating time to that person. Um, and I think a very clear vision of the culture they wanted, mm-hmm. you know, because as you know from leading, right? It's really hard to create a culture when it's there's kind of a question mark there. We don't know what we want to be when we grow up. 
whereas these leaders had this clear vision of, of how we collaborate, what impact we make in the world. Yeah, so very intentional about the culture yes. they were creating. Yes. So I want you and I to move on to, there's a whole lot of conversation around right now um, around stop fixing women and a lot of conversation around the system is the problem, the outdated archetypes of leadership styles, so outdated sort of masculine leadership styles, and that things like imposter syndrome are not real. Stop labelling imposter syndrome and things like that. I just want to get into a conversation with you about Selena, I want to change the the question now and I just would love to get your thoughts on there's so many conversations around at the moment around stop fixing women. Uh, women don't have imposter syndrome um, and the system is the problem. I would just love your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important to hold systems and even societal norms accountable. Mm -hmm. So make no mistake, I think a lot of not helpful conditioning comes from those things mm -hmm. pointed towards girls and women. Um, I myself have lived through some of those and had to do a lot of unbecoming certain things like always um, you know, kind of waiting your turn, taking just enough for fear you'll look greedy if you ask for more. Um, so many messages I myself have struggled with. And, and so, yes, we need to hold systems like workplaces, for example, accountable. Absolutely. And that's an important part of my work. I think even so, even so, I think there are some of us in the world, I include myself here, who could use a vitamin of confidence, who could use a boost um, when it comes to making those big bets on ourselves. Maybe it's launching something entrepreneurial. Maybe it's um, quitting your day job, right, to um, double down on, on something you really care about. Maybe it's asking for that leadership role that partly terrifies you. We need confidence to do those things. And, and so I don't, don't look down on anyone who's wanting to build their confidence skills and to have kind of more authenticity in the way they show up in the world, um, to feel they're living a life of greater boldness. I would wish that on anybody. Um, so I think it's still very relevant today to, to talk about boosting our confidence. And um, I find a really receptive audience with uh, the newsletter I started that, that really was the genesis for my book. So let's talk about that newsletter. Um, and, you know, I just, I worry with some of those conversations going on um, because I, I also believe that the system is the challenge um, and applaud all of the efforts, including what we're doing to, to raise the conversations about it, raise awareness about it, keep talking about it. But the change is slow. And so I think of all of the female executives right now who are operating in that system and, and it's tough. 
Um, and so uh, the thing that worries me when I see this stop fixing women and imposter syndrome isn't real and that, that people who feel that way are potentially even more trapped because it's like, you know, I, I can't even put my hand up because I shouldn't feel this way. That's what kind of worries me about some of that. So tell me about the newsletter and tell me about the reception because you found a groundswell of people. <laughs> Yes. And I really appreciate you raising that concern because I think, you know, there are times like there's nothing worse than feeling there's no place for you or very misunderstood or, you know, don't say you have that emotion because it's wrong. I mean, that that's not a place where you feel understood. And, And so I agree that there's some danger in, um, leaving out the nuance, you know, mm-hmm. saying black or white, it's it's good or bad to use these terms. Um, it doesn't take away someone's experience. And, and so, you know, the newsletter came about because here I had hit my stride, I felt like as a working mom, I felt like my kids were in a groove, they were school-aged, um, my business had hit a new, wonderful kind of um, momentum and had some wonderful clients, you know, not me begging them like had been originally at the beginning of my career, but them coming to me. And I just felt so excited and lucky and like, wow, this is what people mean when they say I'm in a groove. And then the pandemic happened. (laughs) And all those contracts for consulting and speaking got frozen till who knows when and it was scary and upsetting and so many of my friends my network who had more corporate jobs were feeling total uncertainty too you know they they said i remember one person saying from the tech industry i have all the old problems i was working to solve in my job and all these new problems on top of it not to mention job uncertainty um, you know, what's going to happen next? And I realized, you know, what if I could put out there a little fortifier for mm-hmm. all of us? You know, um, I'm taking it too. <laughs> what What if I could just week by week do this? And so uh, before I could talk myself out of it, I made this little colorful banner on my computer and I got the this uh, wonderful privilege to get to start a LinkedIn newsletter and be an early tester. And I typed in quick confidence in the first issue and hit go. And it was so awesome. You know, so many people, 97,000 people today. I can't believe that. Um, quickly made it into a forum, you know, not a letter. I write, but a forum saying, here's what happened when I went to an event and I thought differently about my body language, or here's what happened when I dealt with a leader who's always been intimidating to me. And so it's a wonderful community and uh, I hope a really safe place to learn and grow. Um, and I was really thrilled when I um, was able to turn it into a book with quick confidence. So I love that. And I think one of the things you said to me, and it just fits so beautifully with your story as you've shared it with us today, that you write the book you need. 
Yes. And, you know, anyone who's written a book will tell you it is hard to do if even if you're very disciplined or, or, you know, it is it's daunting at times. And I think the thing that makes it undaunting is feeling that book needs to exist in the world. And uh, so it's really a joy and very gratifying to know this can help people. I'm so passionate about that fact that, you know, a lot of times we think about building confidence as taking these big swings. And yet sometimes it's the little moves, the little ways we build ourselves up, the little stories we tell ourselves that makes a difference, a lasting difference. You shared with me some information around when a girl's uh, confidence peaks. Yeah, it hurts to say it because it's something like nine years old. Um, a girl's self-confidence peaks, that sense that I can take on anything, um, I can rule, um, you know, that hunger with no sensor attached to it. And um, it's one of the reasons why I put these messages out there. You know, there's so much data that shows that people who do have healthy self-confidence have lots of occupational success. They have lots of good things happen. They're more likely to sell effectively. You know, they're more likely to get their messages across. And, you know, we, uh, we listen differently. I think when somebody's presenting their ideas with confidence, it, it commands our attention. And so my hope is to bring that to people. Again, even if it's in small everyday ways. Can you share with us, you know, we've all been in those situations where we walk into a room or into a situation where, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they might be the only female or, you know, it might be a, an interesting dynamic. What are some things that you encourage people to do in those situations? Yes, it, it can really feel hard and lousy sometimes if you feel shut out, um, like you don't belong in that room. I can think of one time I was uh, joining a group of women leaders, actually, and I just thought, wow, this group is the cream of the crop. I'm honored to be here. And for whatever reason at this event, every group I tried to join, every like couplet, kind of turned away mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to the person they knew. And it was so cringy and awkward and uncomfortable. I, I felt like I could die of embarrassment, honestly. And I realized in that moment, though, I can either shrink myself mm -hmm. and physically play small, get small, um, evaporate, right? Or I can try something different. And, and so instead of low talking and, and darting my eyes around the room and kind of turning on myself, I said, what's going to happen here if I do the opposite? You know, what if I claim space? And, and it's something I really encourage others to do. If you're feeling kind of left out, unsure you belong, the, the only in the room, how about celebrating what your mama gave you and expanding, you know, not playing small and little. It sends such a powerful signal to your, your mind that 
I do belong here. In fact, I 400% belong here in this boardroom, in this job interview, um, on this panel at a conference. And, and so I think that's such an important thing to do, to, to big up. Um, I think another thing is you can repeat statements and self-coach in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and I use some of the mantras like the one I just told you. I 400% belong here. I've earned my place here just as much as any of these people. Um, I like to be very careful about what I say after the word I am. You know, sometimes we can say to ourselves, I am going to bomb this. Mm-hmm. I am not feeling good. You know, I am scared I'm going to lose everything, right? There's so many things we can say. And I like to be careful about some of those negative um, statements and really focus on what I do have. What can I control in this? I'm prepared. You know, um, I'm ready. I can hear I can hear the I'm just a yes, you you've got it. I'm the most inexperienced one here. I'm just an analyst. Yes. You know, um I've just got two years of experience in advertising, right? Whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And instead to really make a point to focus on what you do have and what you are bringing. Um because everyone has some deficits. Don't lead with them. It's not going to help you. I heard so many nuggets in our conversation today, but I think there's a couple there for leaders that I think are uh, so important. I mean, one is just that example you used of other people trying to break into conversations. You know, be that generous leader who opens up that space and welcomes people in, you know, I think is a good reflection. And the other one earlier, where you talked about your wonderful professor and, you know, you asked a question of the audience to think about uh, who may have done that for them. And I'd love to flip that around as well. Who have they done that for? Mm-hmm. Who have they yeah. said are really <laughs> high? Can I, I would love to ask you the final question I ask of everybody. Um, you and I could keep talking for a long time. Um, yes. But from your perspective, Selena, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? Um, I think brave feminine leadership to me is generous leadership. You know, I think it's um, it's something that requires systems thinking. To me, there's something inherent about systems thinking with brave feminine leadership, because we don't just break things down to their single part. We look at relationships. We look at networks when we're trying to create change on a bigger level. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I think maybe, you know, the bravest thing of all that I see in in feminine leadership today is a willingness to not center work and our productivity as just the the most important thing in our lives. Um, that our value and and humanness comes from lots of other things. And that may just be the bravest thing, the bravest stand a leader can take today. I love that. And I did notice one of your comments to a question I asked you around the top skills leaders should focus on was modeling self-care, which I just loved. 
Selena, thank you so much for joining our conversation today. It's been wonderful to have your voice added to the conversation. Thank you. You're such a champion and encourager, and I really appreciate you, Melissa. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second guessing themselves so that they can maximize their influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.